Welcome to the Product Design Podcast. I'm your host, Seth Coolen, founder of UX Cabin, where we create world-class web and mobile apps. I'm excited to bring you a behind-the-scenes look into the lives of some of the most interesting and talented people in product design. We'll get strategic advice on how they got to where they are today and things they wish they would have known earlier in their career. Hey, thanks so much for checking out the Product Design Podcast. We today have uh, Femke. She is a product designer from Toronto, Canada, who works at Wealth Simple. Joining us today, Femke, it is great to have you here. I know I have kind of had my eye on bringing you onto the Product Design Podcast for quite some time, and I'm glad we were able to make it work out. Yay. Thank you so much, Seth. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. So, I'm sure you are very well known to a lot of our listeners, but for those who aren't as familiar with you, why don't you give us a little bit of background on who you are, what you do, and uh, maybe what, what you like to do in your spare time when you're not designing? Yeah, totally. So I am a full-time product designer, currently working at Wealth Simple, which is a financial services company based in Canada. I currently live in Toronto and I've been here for about two years. Prior to that, I lived in Amsterdam and I worked at Uber, uh, both on like the ride side of the business as well as Uber Eats, like the food delivery side. And originally I'm from New Zealand. So that's where this kind of weird accent is from. Uh, and I've been doing product design for a little bit over four years now. In my spare time, I have quite a few side projects. Some of your listeners may or may not be familiar with those. I have a YouTube channel and a podcast and an Instagram account where I teach design to sort of early stage designers in their career. And then I also like to do things like pottery and yoga and hiking and spending time with my dog. So yeah, a lot of different hobbies and activities thrown in there. Very cool. Yeah. So you've kind of been all over and lived in a lot of cool places. Yeah. What kind of like led you from New Zealand to, I think you said Amsterdam first? Yeah. Yes. So I studied, I grew up and I studied in New Zealand. And then when I graduated, I kind of wanted to travel, see the world a little bit. But if you look on a map, New Zealand's very far away. It's very isolated and expensive to travel to places from there. So I thought, okay, what if I did something a bit more like semi-permanent, kind of moved somewhere for a year or so, traveled at the same time. My parents are actually Dutch, so I have Dutch heritage. So having a Dutch passport, I was like, well, maybe I should consider the Netherlands and like hang out there for a little while. I've got extended family there. I can live there. So yeah, headed on over there with my partner at the time. And we ended up staying for five years. So we had a really good time. I changed jobs in that period and then eventually was at Uber working there and got the opportunity to transfer to Toronto for Uber. So that's how I ended up in Canada. But yeah, it was supposed to be kind of like a one-year overseas experience turned into now it's been six or seven years that I've been away. Wow, that's incredible. So I'm sure we'll uh, learn more about your journey as we get into it. But thinking about your background and growing up and everyone's journey into product design is different. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your journey and what eventually led you into design, UX, product design. Yeah. 
So I actually did a bachelor's degree in business and commerce. I studied marketing and media. I know, very, oh, cool. Yeah, a lot of people assume I like went and did like a design degree, but I did not. So I did that and then I started working at a startup, got kind of interested in design while I was there and started taking design classes part-time at Massey University, I took like a graduate diploma in visual communication design, which is a long way of saying graphic design, essentially. So I was working sort of part-time at the startup. I was studying graphic design part-time as well, did that for about a year and a half, and then started working full-time at the startup after I graduated. But it it wasn't sort of full-time design role. It was a lot more of kind of like you know, being a jack of all trades, it was only 10 people at the startup. So I was helping out with the website and the marketing and the customer support and doing a lot of different things, not working really on the product, but more like the graphic side of design while I was there. But I was really interested in the product and the design team that was actually building the tool that we were working on and was trying to figure out a way how to make that sidestep transition from like, graphic visual marketing design to product design. So that was kind of my introduction to product design was being at the startup and seeing like the product and design team creating this tool from scratch. I thought it was really interesting. Yeah. So when you were kind of doing the more generalized graphic design, were you drawn to like the strategy behind product design or felt like that was more interesting to you? Yeah. I mean, this is also like one of my known sort of not weaknesses, but I would say more like growth areas personally is like in visual design and craft. Like it's not actually a strong suit of mine. I think because I'm a designer, a lot of people assume that I must be really good at drawing or really good at like visual design and UI, but I'm not afraid to admit that that is not my strength. And I am a lot more interested and stronger in the more like strategic side, the UX thinking, solving problems, the strategy. And I struggled with that when I was doing my diploma because the students in my class were so talented from a visual perspective. And I was like trying to keep up, like faking my way through Photoshop. And so there were a couple of courses during that diploma that were in UX. And that's where I really enjoyed it and really sort of thrived. So I kind of knew though I was enjoying design, I was definitely more interested in the UX product side. Yeah, that's really cool. I kind of feel like I had a a similar experience when I was going through school and and kind of going through some of these like introductory design courses. I was like, man, I am not good at Illustrator. (laughs) I'm never going to be able to make this look good. But then I kind of stumbled into design systems. And I feel like my strongest suit is more on the UI side of things, Mm -hmm. the really technical systems approach and applying, you know, consistent rules across the board. But yeah, you ask me to do a custom illustration. I'm just like, "Eh, (laughs) yeah, totally. It's like, as soon as people hear the word design, they just think you're like some unicorn and can design anything. Like I have Um, a poster for you to make for me. Right. Yeah. But I I feel like I'm definitely more of like a T-shaped designer where, you know, I'm like definitely can go like more deeply into one area of design rather than being like this jack of all trades. And that's fine. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone, we all have our strengths and weaknesses and and all that. So cool. Yeah. You know, 
thinking about your time from a startup and then moving over to eventually over to Uber, wondering if you could kind of tell us a little bit about your career journey, what led you to Uber and how you actually ended up landing a job there. Yeah. So as mentioned, I was at the startup. I was really interested in product design. So I had asked a couple of times if there was opportunity to transition internally to the product design team and work on product design full-time. Kind of waited a little bit for something like that to happen and an opportunity to open up and it just wasn't happening. So after I'd been at the startup for I think two years at this point, I was like, okay, well, you know, I've been here two years. Feels like a good amount of time. I'm really ready to make this transition to product design. So maybe it's time to start looking elsewhere and considering other opportunities. So I was in Amsterdam by this point. So I was looking around locally there to try and find different product design opportunities. Uh, I applied at several places. I interviewed at a few. Uber actually wasn't like on my radar. I didn't even know that Uber had a design team or like any team for that matter in Amsterdam. It turns out they have a very, very large team there. And Uber was one of those ones where I didn't actually apply. They reached out to me, which is kind of cool and was very unexpected. At the time, this is, I guess, like 2017, I was writing a weekly newsletter about design, one of my side projects I had started back then. And it turns out a designer at Uber had subscribed to it because they found it on Twitter or something. And so they then sort of passed me on to the manager and recommended me like, hey, there's Femke, this designer in Amsterdam. She's writing this cool newsletter about design. We should talk to her. So Uber reached out to me and asked if I was interested in a coffee chat. And then like one thing led to the next. And eventually I got an offer there. Yeah. And I got two other offers as well at the same time. So I had three, which seems crazy, three offers from companies at the time that I had to decide between. That is a great Right. Yeah. I was very surprised. Like, I mean, especially because I barely had product design experience at that point. I was at the startup, mostly doing graphic and web work. My portfolio was mostly like websites that I had designed or like social graphics. I'd done a couple of UX projects through freelancing because I was trying to get that experience to build up my portfolio. So I had a couple of those projects, but nothing outstanding. And so, yeah, I was very surprised at the time. So do you think you got those opportunities because of the blog that you were writing? I, I wouldn't discount it. I wonder, like, okay. it's always appealing to have something extra, right? Like we know employers are looking for that X factor. It's an unfortunate reality today that there's so many people wanting to get these jobs and interested in design. It can be really hard to stand out. And so I do think that there must have been something there about the fact that I was talking about design on the side, having this newsletter. I have to believe that that must have made some difference. Yeah. Sure. One thing that I always go back to, and I've probably experienced it on a smaller level than you in your content creation, but like basically anything I've ever put out there in form of like writing or even posting on Annable has pretty much like 100% always come back in a positive way to benefit. Totally. Yeah, for sure. I definitely feel like those things lead to opportunities and they might not lead to opportunities straight away. Like 
right? This was 2017, right? I'd started that newsletter in 2015. So it had been two years at that point of doing this newsletter. So like there was no overnight success story here in this episode. Uh, It was like a long, slow, you know, journey. And I think because I'd been doing it consistently for two years, that also, you know, showed like, I guess, commitment and that I'd stuck stuck to it for that long. Um, And so, yeah, it took two years for that to pay off, essentially. Yeah, it's it's the long play. And I'm always like trying to make my mind think of like, I know what I have to do today and I know what's good to do today, but I want to be proactive in like Uh building things for the long term that are not going to be the immediate satisfaction. That's right. Yeah, exactly. But like, what's the long term uh, thing that's going to make me say like, oh man, I'm so glad I did that a few years ago. Right. Totally. I think if us as UXers, product designers can think a little bit forward about those things, that's going to pay off dividends in yeah. the future. And that's like what we should be doing as product designers. Like this might be a little tangent here, but I feel like so often we're so consumed by like the now solving problems tomorrow and then like quickly moving on to the next thing. And like, I'm trying to figure out how I can design products that are sustainable, not necessarily in the environmental sense, but sustainable in that like they can scale over time. I'm not creating like more design debt, like, you know, something that's flexible will move with the market rather than trying to like quickly create a one-stop solution that will work today, but like might not work tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think someone hearing this might think, oh, if I'm getting into content creation, I need to be posting on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, <laughs> TikTok. Yeah. And I would say like, no, make, yeah. like pick one, <laughs> pick one and do it consistently, like, you know, once a month or a couple times a week or a couple times a month and just like try to ride that out before, you know, because my, adding my more. Like, yeah, before adding more you get so overwhelmed and it's like, unless you have a team of people behind you, you're not going to be able to like post quality content to all of those places. For sure. Yeah. You have to start somewhere and starting small is fine. Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, let's go a little bit forward into your tenure at Uber. (laughs) So you got the job. They heard about you from your newsletter, brought you Mm -hmm. in, thought you'd be a great fit. So how is working at one of the biggest unicorns uh, in the industry like? It is a wild ride, which I know is a bit of a pun, but it was an amazing opportunity. One that I like, especially coming from a small country like New Zealand, where like we don't really have tech companies, let alone like big ones. I never imagined myself working somewhere like that. So it was a bit of a culture shock huge opportunity, was worried I was going to like totally fumble it and like that I was coming in as a total imposter and a fraud. Like I have no idea what I'm doing. Right, right. I'm just going to land on the job and figure it out. I mean, I guess like working at a big company like that, some great parts about it were that like there were so many resources, there was so much internal growth opportunity and support. And I was learning from the smartest people. It's crazy to be on a team with people who have worked at other tech unicorns. Like I was working with people who had spent 10 years at Google or like five years at Facebook or whatever. And I was kind of like feeling like you're in a room of celebrities. Yeah. Sometimes. So that was kind of crazy. I had to pinch myself sometimes at just like the wealth of knowledge and experience that I was interacting with on a daily basis. 
I think another thing I really enjoyed about working at such a big company like that was the level of impact was huge. We were working on products that would affect millions of people. And like, sometimes that responsibility felt heavy on me and I felt like I wanted to get it right. And there were so many people using this product, but it's also very rewarding to be able to design experiences for like the mass market, quote unquote. Yeah. So yeah, it was a very cool opportunity. I learned so much. I spent four years there and it was very cool to work on different sides of the company too, like the ride side and the eat side. That is really cool. So I have to ask, when you are working on designs at such a large company, does it tend to take a really, really, really long time for a feature or a workflow to get into actual production? Yes, it can take a really long time. I guess that's one of the downsides. I spent an entire year working on a feature that never ended up shipping. And like, that's frustrating sometimes. And that's you know disappointing. You spent a year working on something that ultimately doesn't ship. So that can be really frustrating. But I try to, you know, think about all the things we learned and try to move forward from there. On the other hand, when you do ship stuff, it's super exciting and it's great right. to see people using it. But it it is on average like slower and takes longer to ship things than a smaller tech company. Right. I have a colleague who works at Instagram and they were saying mm-hmm. like how excited they were that they got their designed button on one of the workflows or pages. And it's really yeah. funny just coming from like the agency side where you might work through like you know, three user onboarding flows and like an about page and it's 10 a.m., right? And those are like being shipped right. in like a week after week. Right. Yes, it's it definitely is a different world for sure. And also being a big tech company like that, there's also a lot of internal process and workflow, right? We want to make sure that the app is consistent and we have a very robust design system internally and there's reviews and processes to making sure we're shipping experiences that work in the end and that feel cohesive, like one product, even though there's like 20 teams working on it. There's a, there's a lot of work behind the scenes for that too. Yeah. I'd also be interested in like just understanding the environment of such a big company. Yeah. Did politics play a role in any of the design aspects or were things easy to be data-driven or how did that flush itself out? I think being a big company and having an established design team and a head of design that sort of reported directly to the CEO basically meant that like design had a seat at the table, quote unquote, which was great because we got a lot of trust to do what we thought was best. And there wasn't a lot of politics in terms of like design not being considered or like not listening to what design has to say. We definitely had a strong voice at the table, which was really great. But we worked a lot with research. We were a very research-driven company. So we had a whole user research team that was part of the design team. We obviously also had a lot of data, like so much data. So we had data scientists that would help us with that as well. It was kind of this nice like collaboration between design research data and then of course product as well who would kind of you know help steer the ship and come up with different initiatives yeah that's really cool i think anytime you're working with uber level data yeah (laughs) it probably takes a lot of the the guesswork and the personal opinions out of things when you can be like i know you like this flow or this color but the data says otherwise 
Totally. And it took me a while to adjust to the scale of Uber, where if you're moving the metric by like 0.5 of a percent, like that's a positive. We're talking like millions of dollars. (laughs) Right. Like points of a percentage could be millions of dollars. So I've had projects where the success rate was 1.7% lift and whatever. And everyone's like so pumped that we did such a great job. And 1.7% might sound like nothing, but when the scale is millions of people, like that can be very impactful. Absolutely. Absolutely. So then after Uber or you're kind of coming to your end of your, your journey, what kind of led you to your next opportunity? Yeah. So while I was at Uber, I spent two years working on the money team, the money design team. And I really enjoyed my time there. I enjoyed like fintech kind of challenges. I enjoyed talking to users, you know, about this kind of topic and learning about, you know, how people deal with finances around the world. So I was kind of missing that and interested in kind of getting back into that fintech space. So started to consider places in Canada that were in the fintech space that I could work at and have impact. And while Simple was one of those places, again, it's kind of like an untraditional story where the design director and I had a coffee chat and like one thing led to the next. I had my eyes on them for about a year before I ended up joining. So I was kind of like planting the seeds early Even when I wasn't yet ready to leave, knowing that when I would be ready to leave, like I had planted that seed and it was like ready for that opportunity. Yeah. That is so smart. And again, just from my own experience, I can't even say enough for how much just beating someone in a non-pressured situation can do. Such a difference. Yeah. for (laughs) For your career. Like when I was freelancing and then starting my company, I got so much work just because I had had lunch with someone nine months ago and they knew me right. and comfortable with me. And yeah. I think the way that you went about that is a fantastic model for someone <laughs> to do if they've got their eye on something specific or they know they want to, you know, get into a certain field. Yeah. Meet people who are, you know, in, in low pressure situations where they can become familiar with your personality and then they can learn about your skill set over time. And yeah, you can kind of have a, a warm foot in the door there. Exactly. And that's why you always hear about the benefits of networking. And I know it's awkward sometimes and cringy and maybe you're introverted and you don't want to do it or you're like tired of cold reaching out to people on LinkedIn. I know, I get it. I've totally been there. But like it's the the one to two people that you do form that connection with and where like that spark happens that it can be super valuable and totally worth the time. So Yeah, I just always make sure that I'm engaging with the design community, chatting to people, learning about what they're doing, not necessarily in the context of like, hey, I want a job from you, but let's just get to know each other. And then, you know, maybe in the future, there will be a job opportunity and we'll have already had that foundation set. Yeah, absolutely. I think just think about like how much ahead of the game you would be if you got to like hang out with a hiring or not even a hiring manager, just like a designer at a place versus someone just seeing just a a resume, you're going to stay totally. so much more, even if, you know, skill sets are even different. Like you, can't, you yeah. can't measure, there's so much you can't measure from like an online application that you can just yeah. like get a feel for if you meet with someone or interact with them. So that's a fantastic, fantastic yeah. move there. Thank you. Thinking about what your day-to-day looks like now, can you give us a little, little insight into what that looks like for you? Yeah, my day-to-day at the moment is 
very different actually from my time at Uber. I feel like my time at Uber was a lot more like day-to-day collaborating with my immediate working team, like the product manager I'm working with, the researcher I'm working with. And while Simple being a much, much smaller company, it's different, the internal structure. So not only am I doing the same where I'm working immediately with my working team, but I'm also presenting to execs and co-founders and you know doing design reviews with higher stake VPs of product because naturally the company is so much smaller, like those people are closer to me than they were at Uber, for example. Yeah, the day-to-day is like a little bit different in that sense, but still similar in that I'm working on problems, I'm creating different design solutions, we're testing them in research, we're trying to validate which solution is resonating, how do we move forward, how do we work with engineering? So similar in, in that context. Yeah, that's cool. Very cool. Thinking about kind of your career path and how you have been in companies that are a product company Mm -hmm. that offer, they have design departments that work on a specific product or products within their brand. I was wondering if you could kind of speak a little bit about why you're drawn to product companies versus the alternative being maybe like an agency model. Yeah. What you kind of like about that. Yeah. So what I like about this model is that I get to build a lot of domain knowledge on a particular product area or feature or topic and go really, really deep into that and solve the nitty gritty hard problems and can also launch something, see the results, iterate, experiment, change it and keep growing and building that product in the long term. So that's what I enjoy about sort of being more embedded on like a product team at a tech company. That said, I've not worked in agency before. So I only know what I've heard from other people about that experience. But yeah, I like that part of working in-house is like that, that domain knowledge, you get really close to the product, the people who use your product, and you can kind of work on it for the long term. Do you ever get sick of seeing the same... (laughs) working on the same product or workflow over and over again? Or do you not mind that? Surprisingly, I don't mind it. For me, it's like, it's a sense of familiarity and it makes me feel more confident because I am not having to relearn something or like readjust. So I like the familiarity and the stability of like opening Figma and it's the same design system I use every day. I feel like I can become a bit of an expert and more confidently make decisions and know how to use it, where to go, what to do. So I like that sense of familiarity, but I can see how some folks might not like that and they might want more variety and more challenge in terms of a different brand to work with or a different style. For me, I personally don't mind. Yeah, no, that's cool. I think personally, I kind of have shiny object syndrome and I Uh feel like if I'm working on something for too long, I get too embedded and I can't think straight. I need to go work on something else and come back to this later. Yeah. That is sometimes a challenge where you feel so deep down the hole. It's like hard to take a step back and look from an outside perspective. And I've definitely been there too, where I'm so far into a project and someone has to come and pull me out. I like that we have research as a resource too to kind of like yeah. help in that situation a little bit. Do have to be careful not to cross that line of like, 
oh, well, I think it should be this way. Oh, well, we know our users so well that this is how it should be done. It's like, well, do it. Let's talk to them again. Or when was the last time we talked to them? So that's always a good reminder. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's cool. I th- Yeah, totally. It's just, you know, different strokes for different folks. Mm-hmm. Some people are going to be much more suited for an in-house product team, some more suited for kind of spinning a bunch of plates uh, and, and being in an agency environment. But yeah, it's kind of like, I don't know, I, I always enjoy getting people's takes on what they like, why they like, you know, that that particular thing and how that kind of suits their personality as as people are considering what field or what position to apply for. So mm-hmm, I think that's totally. really good insight. Looking from where you are today, looking back to your experiences and and how you've grown, is there anything that you look back and you're like, oh man, if I would have <laughs> known this when I was my yeah. younger self, I would have done so much better and such a better experience. Is there anything looking back that you can say like, oh, I wish I knew that when I was younger in my career? Yeah. I mean, sometimes I wish I'd done a boot camp instead of like a diploma for context, like in New Zealand where I was at the time. UX product design was so unheard of back then. There was no really courses for it. So that's why I ended up in this kind of graphic design class. But if I could have taken like a more niche kind of specifically UX design, I would have loved to do that. Like maybe something remotely from overseas or something could have been nice. I kind of had to figure it out on my own through freelancing and just kind of like faking it till I was making it a little bit. And that was definitely challenging at times. And now when I go back and look at that work, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so terrible. (laughs) I feel like we always have that when we look back at our work. And in a way, the fact that I think it's terrible also kind of makes me proud because I'm like, well, that proves that I have grown since then. And I have learned a lot since then. That's always good too. But I think... Another thing that I would have loved to have done more is like be more involved in the design community. I mean, I did eventually start doing that, but I always wish I'd started doing it sooner than I did. I only started really doing it after I had finished my studies. And sometimes I'm like, well, imagine if I'd started doing that while I was studying, like going to conferences or like talking to other designers. I was so with my school blinders on, like not really thinking about the real world at that point. But yeah, it could have been different if I had started to engage more in the design community. That's great advice. Kind of going into another aspect of your work is you have a lot of different things that you do and produce for the design community. So I was wondering if maybe we could get into some of your side projects and I could kind of pick your brain on some of that. So yeah, why don't you just give us like, a little list of all the things that you got spinning right now. Yeah, sure. So I have a YouTube channel where I teach design and make videos there, obviously. I also have an Instagram account that is sort of complementary to the channel. I have an email newsletter, the same one that I already mentioned earlier. I also have a job board where I help designers get jobs in design. I also do mentoring, so one-on-one sessions with designers on Superpeer. And I have a podcast as well about design inside projects with my friend Charlie. So I think that about sums it up at the moment. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to ask the obvious question. How? (laughs) Yeah, this is a great question. Uh, Okay, several different ways. I think the first way that I managed to do this is 
I say no to a lot of things and I prioritize my time. So I kind of learned this the hard way when I would just say yes to everything. And kind of like we were saying earlier, I think you touched on this where we often, there's this like facade that you have to like set up everything from day one, right? Like have the Instagram and the YouTube and like do it all from day one. And I definitely felt that and and experienced that. And it was really difficult. So, you know, saying no to things, really prioritizing, going for the long, slow growth, that has definitely been helpful for me. And then like making time, because like you're never going to find more time, right? Like we all have the same amount of time. So making set time to work on side projects. And for years, that was from 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. for me. Wow. Yeah. I, I'm a morning person. I would get up. I would work on my side projects for two hours before work. So that really helped for a long time. And then lastly, now today, kind of fast forwarding a little bit, is I hire help. So I have two freelancers that I work with who help me a little bit behind the scenes. I'm fortunate enough to be at a space now where my side projects are generating a bit of income so I can like reinvest that a little bit and use that to pay for freelancers. So that has also been a really, really huge help. Yeah, that is super interesting. I think kind of to your point of like starting out the day early, Uh basically thinking of like, you know, if you think about it, like lifting weights or working out, you're basically logging a two hour workout every single day for years that kind of helped you build up these things. And it's not like they just magically happened or you posted something and it got a million views the first time. This was like you were putting in the reps, basically. For sure. And like, again, back to what we talked about, where I did that for maybe three to four years and then started seeing the results. So like, wow. You know, you like it's no overnight success. I don't get up at 6 a.m. now. I don't do the two hours in the morning anymore, but I don't have to do that now because I did that for so long. So like that has gotten me to this position today where I don't have to do that anymore. But yeah, it's a lot of consistency. I also talk a lot about wanting to make sure my content is consistent, relevant, and recent. It's kind of like my trifecta. So it's a lot of that. And it's a lot of showing up and you have to keep showing up. Like people aren't going to notice if you only turn up once or twice. You have to be consistent. Otherwise, no one's going to notice. Right. So during those years where you're putting in all that time and effort and not seeing like spectacular results or not getting money from it, like how did you stay motivated during that time? I think the fact that I was building an audience at the same time and that audience was talking to me and they were telling me how helpful my content was. And they were telling me, oh my gosh, your video helped me get a job at Google or like, oh my gosh, thank you so much for sharing this. I raised my salary by 20%, you know? So building that audience and forming a connection with that community and getting the feedback from them that what I was doing was helping them and helping them grow in their career, that definitely kept me motivated. And I knew that what I was doing was helping other people. That is really cool. Yeah, I think whenever you're creating things, creating content, you're always going to have those like valleys of despair where you're like, oh, like, why am I doing this? Is this just a waste of time? And one thing in just making this podcast that I've made myself not do 
is not look at numbers or set ambitious goals, but really just focus on providing a high quality resource and meeting really interesting people. Yeah. And those things are met, then that's, then, that's then, my goal. Great. You're doing a good yes. job. Yeah, exactly. I rarely ever look at my analytics. Someone was just asking me the other day, actually, like, oh, do you go really deep into your YouTube analytics and game the algorithm? And I'm like, no, <laughs> I I do not have time for that. And I do not care about that. My signal that I'm doing a good job is my audience telling me that I'm helping them. I care more about that than the numbers. Absolutely. Yeah, I think just in our nature, we want a shortcut or a quick fix. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've totally spent tons of times putting research into like, oh, how to how to like game this algorithm or whatever. Right. And then I think of like, if I had just like spent that time producing good like work, creating content, yeah. creating content, <laughs> that would have benefited me so much more yeah. than trying to trick the system or whatever. Totally. Yeah, that's how I feel too. So thinking about your current side projects and things, most designers, they have a bucket of domains that have gone by the wayside. All of these great ideas that are kind of half finished or half baked. It kind of seems like anything that you've kind of set out to do has kind of made it to the forefront or the public. Do you have like a bunch of ideas that never made the light of day or you're kind of working on in private or were you able to kind of nail down specifically what you wanted to do and publish those things? Yeah, no, I totally have ideas sitting in my back pocket. One is an online course, which I feel is like kind of cliche at this point because so many people are doing online courses, which is great. I love them. I think they're a great resource. So that's something I've wanted to do for, I don't know, I feel like I've had that idea for maybe three years at this point and I just keep sitting on it and waiting. One day I might get there. Another thing that I have talked a little bit about, so this one's not like as secret, but haven't gotten around to actually bringing to life yet is a private community. So I have been wanting to work on a private community space where folks can join and get more one-on-one time with me, but also with each other. And maybe we have weekly design reviews and, you know, it's kind of like a community coaching sort of thing. So that's something that I wanted to launch by the end of this year, but at this point it might more be an early 2022 thing. But yeah, those are the two main things that I've been sitting on and thinking about for a while. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, I can probably think of a dozen projects off the top of my mind where I uh-huh. put a hardcore month into and then they uh-huh. yeah. died on the vein. And yeah. it's, I don't know, going back to like shiny object syndrome, it's yeah. really easy to get an idea, get excited about it. And then once you realize all the work that goes into it, you're like, yeah. ah. I know so much work. That's also, you know, how I'm, how I do all these side project things is that I tackle this by getting really granular in the to-do list. My to-do list doesn't look like make a video. My to-do list looks like, okay, draft the script, record the footage, take the thumbnail photo, edit the footage, you know, and it goes on and on. Like it's these individual tasks that lead to this bigger, you know, piece of content. Cause I knew that if I just had like make a video, it's just going to sit on my to-do list forever. Cause that's so much work. Like you, you just look at that and you're like, I'm not going to do that. That's too much work. So I really try to break things down really granularly to like the task level. And I just like chip away at it throughout the week. And I always feel like that sense of accomplishment as you get through it. And then that motivates you to keep going. So that's been helpful for me. 
Yeah, I think it's a great point. It's kind of like that old saying, how do you eat an elephant? It's like, well, one bite at a time. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, I can attest to the same thing. If I have just like a really broad thing on my to-do list, I'm just like, you I, know put it off. I know it's an iceberg. I know there's way more to it. And I just, yeah. I don't pay attention to it. So I think that's a really good takeaway for anything from work to side projects. Is oh, yeah, totally. If you can granularize it and make it in, into small digestible things. As soon as you start checking some of those off, you get momentum, you're rolling and you know what you have to do to accomplish it. Exactly. Another thing I wanted to get your take on is our journey into product design and UX was its own unique path. And that path is like so totally changed for people who are looking to get into it today. Right. So if someone was looking to switch careers or get into product design today, or they say, I want to be in the same position that I'm yeah. is, mm-hmm. what would you suggest for them to do today, starting from, from little or no experience? Yeah. So, oh, this is a good question. I think a lot of things. I would definitely encourage folks to just search online and try to find people that are teaching this topic. I'm one of so many creators out there that are teaching design online and providing this content. And there's so much free stuff out there now these days too. So you don't have to go and get a four year, hundred thousand dollar degree. Yes. You don't want to. So, you know, be resourceful, do some search online, see where you could get some of this free content. Though that said, there is so much of it that it can also be very overwhelming And so I talk to a lot of early stage designers who are just overwhelmed at the amount of free information online. So I think my second tip is to like pick two to three sources that you trust. And maybe those sources are like websites like medium.com, for example, or maybe it's a creator that you really trust and you really enjoy their content. Pick a couple and go all in on those two to three things. You don't need to learn from every single designer on the internet. Because right. you know, you're going to hear conflicting things and that might only stress you out a little bit. So that would be my second piece of advice. And then the third piece is adapt your learning to like your learning style. If you are someone that does want that rigorous educational structure, then maybe do go and get the degree. Like that's totally fine. Yeah. Or if you're more like, I want to learn in my own time, maybe an online boot campus for you. Or if you're like, I don't want any education training, I'm going to be totally self-taught. Cool. Do that. Like, you know, maybe meet some other designers online who are doing the same thing. Maybe freelance, figure it out as you go. That's totally cool. There's no right or wrong, I think, when it comes to actually learning the practice of design. So just think about how you like to learn what works best for you in your current situation and do that thing because it's not going to be wrong. Yeah, I think there's a lot a really good advice in that. Like when I was kind of starting out and one of the things that was, I felt like I was kind of flailing around is I didn't have like a good learning path. I was doing like Photoshop tutorials on poster design because I felt like I just needed to get needed really to do good that. Photoshop. Yeah. I was doing HTML tutorials because I felt like I needed to do that. I was doing a lot of things, but it was kind of like bouncing all over the place yeah. versus having a really good. Focused. Yes. Yeah. Which I think a boot camp would have helped me a lot in my situation. Yeah. Because it's like you can't evaluate what is a good resource when you don't know the resource, right? 
Yeah, you're we hard. could be looking for because uh, I did the same. Oh, I'm getting flashbacks now to doing these tutorials about how to use Photoshop and then Illustrator and then more like Sketch back in the day. And I also did some like coding courses. I was all over the place. And that's fine too. You know, you eventually yeah. you will figure out what you like and what you don't like. So there's benefit to that. But if you know exactly what you want, then being super focused and intentional about it is definitely beneficial. Yeah. And I think the like really important thing to evaluate if you want to actually get into the space is when you're doing design or coding or whatever it is, can you do this, lose track of time and look up and say like, holy cow, I just spent three hours doing this thing and I really had fun doing it. Because I think ultimately, if you don't have that enjoyment or that drive, there's no course or person who can uh, put that inside of you. (laughs) Put that inside of you. Exactly. Exactly. Totally. And that's going to make you want to learn more, do the next thing. For me personally, it was I got paid $1,000 to make this person's website. And it was super scary because I had to learn it. And yeah, but it was so different than a school project because it had to be 100%. It had to be perfect. I couldn't turn in like a 70. (laughs) It had to be it had to be top notch. And that that really like drove me to do the things right or as, as right as I knew how. Totally. Yes. I remember similar experience when I started freelancing. I was like, okay, now I really have to deliver. I don't know. For me, that pressure was good because it kind of like forced right. me to do it. Right. Yeah. You're not just like following a tutorial. You're like legitimately doing something that could like impact someone's business. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, Femke, this has been an awesome conversation. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge, your career path. Yeah, no worries. You know, most of all, just being a great resource provider in the design community. I know so many people look up to you and it was great to be able to talk to you. Thank you. Yeah, this was so, so much fun. I really, really appreciate the conversation. Thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. Thanks so much for hanging out with us today on the Product Design Podcast. If you enjoyed our conversation, be sure and go follow our guests. Let them know they did a great job and you learned a lot. Um, More to come in the following weeks as we bring on new guests. Please hit that subscribe button so that you will get these podcasts uh, and learn a ton about the product design community. Excited to see you next time. Thanks.